0: One messages, in which you'll soon be able to purchase in a uh, CD box set <laughs> for the bargain price of thirty dollars, available at the welcome desk. <laughs> no, Debbie says to explain it. it's a joke. Yeah, it's, twi- it's twenty-five dollars actually. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's good. It's good to go through something, but it's good to get to the end as well. All right, we're going to read from Mark 15. If you've got a Bible, it's going to appear on there as well. Uh, Mark 15, and let's read from verse 40, um, because we stopped last time at 39. So it's good to read from verse 40. Some women who were watching, Jesus has just died. So this is, that's the context. Jesus has just died. The centurion has just said, um, surely this man was the son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the younger and of Joseph, and of Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women had come with the, who had come up with him to Jerusalem were all, also there. It was preparation day. That's the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now, some of you might be thinking, depending on what Bible you've got in front of you, some of you might be thinking, hang on, you said this was the last week of Mark's Gospel and my uh, account in Mark's Gospel goes on a little bit further to, to verse 20, so why is Mark stopped at verse 8? Well, most scholars believe that verses 9 through 20 were actually added on later by somebody else. Um, probably because they thought that Mark stopping at verse 8, uh, as he did, the, the women saying nothing to anyone because they were afraid, they probably thought that was a bit abrupt and a bit of a strange ending to the gospel. Maybe some of you thought that too. Um, we'll look at that later on as to why Mark might have ended like that. But that's pretty certainly where Mark did end his gospel. So that's where we're going to end it today as well. So, Jesus is dead, and most people who were around at the time, most people, almost everyone would have thought, well, this is the end of the story. This is the end. A man who gathered a group of followers who claimed to be the Messiah, like many before him and many after him, and his life has ended in the way that many of those uh, people did as well, in death, in crucifixion, many of those were killed even though there were stories of him healing the sick even though there were stories of him doing miracles in the end it seemed that he was unable to prevent himself from going the way that almost every other leader of messianic cults went they were killed and in each case after their death after the leader's death the movement collapsed and that was the end of it but if we fast forward from this point throughout history of course we see that that was not at all what happened with Jesus' movement, in Jesus' case. We see that it exploded into life. 300 years later, Christianity had spread through the entire Roman Empire. And now we look and all around the world are Christians, are believers, are followers of Jesus more than ever before in history. Why? the difference why was it so different with Jesus to every other messianic pretender well the answer to that lies in what happened after Jesus's death and that's what we're going to look at today Jesus had only really been on the cross for a few hours most people when they were crucified they would be on the cross for quite some time sometimes days and so it was quite a surprise uh, to pilate when he heard that Jesus had died um and uh usually um that wasn't the case as i said but it was checked out it was verified no he clearly was dead and it's just a few hours before the sabbath is about to begin the sabbath is the saturday for jews but it begins at sunset on the friday evening and uh jesus died at three o'clock in the afternoon so it's maybe just three hours before sunset and uh Jesus is dead on the cross. Chances are at this point that he's just going to be thrown into a common grave with criminals, uh, a communal grave, and that's going to be the end of it. So step forward, Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph of Arimathea is a member of the Sanhedrin. You remember the Sanhedrin, they're members of the Jewish council. They're the ones who wanted Jesus dead. They're the ones who. uh, had this fake trial, really, a a, a very quick trial at night, which wasn't legitimate, really. But never mind, as far as they were concerned, they're going to get him uh, condemned to death. They're going to get him flogged. They're going to get him to pilot um, as quickly as they could. Joseph was part of that group, although we find out that he didn't agree with the decision that was made. He didn't agree with what was said. Um, Luke's gospel tells us, that he didn't agree. John's gospel goes as far as telling us that he is actually a secret disciple of Jesus. So he's part of this Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, but he's also a secret disciple of Jesus. But now Joseph comes out of cover. Now we see that Joseph is deciding, you know, oh, I don't know. I've got to, I've got to come. I've got to do something. He's seen what's happened. He believes Jesus is the Messiah. He believes Jesus is the Son of God. He, he feels he's not going to just leave him uh, to go and be thrown into some communal grave. Now, that would take some courage because of the repercussions that it would have had for his position in the Sanhedrin. Because people in the Sanhedrin are not going to like that Joseph suddenly saying, oh, can I take the body? Can I give it a proper burial? And all of that. He's going to have some repercussions. Sometimes, there comes moments in our lives where as disciples of Jesus, we have to take a stand. We have to be prepared to stand up, to come out from cover, maybe even sometimes if we're undercover, um, to count the cost of being a disciple of Jesus because it's just so important. I've told a story before of a friend of uh, ours who is, uh, is in the church in England that we were part of. And uh, she was called Carol, and she used to work for a drug rehabilitation center and uh, really did a great job at helping people come off heroin uh, and, uh, in particular and, and get their lives sorted out. And it was, uh, it was a secular uh, organization, but she did an amazing job. And she was a believer. She was part of our church. And uh, a few months after one of her clients had left, the, uh, the program, and she'd got, she'd got pretty much clean off, off, the, off the heroin. She came across Carol, and she said, hey, Carol, I know that you are a Christian. I know that you believe in, in Jesus, and you go to church, and I feel I need, I need to find God for myself. I feel I need to go to church. Will you take me to your church? And Carol said, of course I will. Of course I'll take you to my church. Now, her workplace quickly got to hear about this. And so the next day, she was called into her boss's office, and she uh, was told, you mustn't take um, this woman, I think she was called Amanda, um, you mustn't take her to church. And and Carol said, well, she's asking me to go. She wants to, no, 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 you must, you're not hearing us. You mustn't take her to church. Sh- you are connected with her through this job. Um, if you take her to church, if you, you know, evangelize her, get involved in any way with religion, if you do that, you're going to lose your job here. That's how it stands. So Carol had a decision to make. Does she take her Amanda to church or does she keep her job? Well, she took her to church. She took her to church and Amanda started coming to church um, most weeks. And Carol lost her job was fired the next week, and that was it. And she couldn't get a job for another year after that, because her name was spread around to different organizations in the same sort of area that she worked with, and so she found it very, very hard to get another job. Sometimes there's a cost to following Jesus, and it's very real, but sometimes you know you've got to do it, and she never doubted that she did the right thing. So Pilate, agrees to hand over jesus's body joseph buys linen he wraps jesus's body in it he places it in a tomb which has been cut out of rock and he rolls the stone across the entrance and mark as he as he writes the account of this he talks about who saw it and he says well mary magdalene was there and also mary the mother of uh, joseph and the mother of james uh two children that that she had and um um, and mark keeps talking about these names he keeps talking about these women he's stating them to show that what he's writing is actually a historical fact he's not just making it up he's saying look this happened and here's the people who saw it happen and they would have been alive at the time so they would oh you if you if you're doubting this at all go and talk to them they're the people who saw it happen and uh after the Sabbath was over, these same women and Salome um, were bringing spices to the tomb. And they were going to complete the burial rites that were, that were going on with Jesus. And so as they go to the tomb, the three women, they're discussing uh, amongst themselves, well, who's going to roll the stone away from the entrance? It was quite a size and quite weight. Maybe they'd just not thought about that before. They'd thought, oh, we'll go to the tomb, and then suddenly they realize, hang on, there's this huge big stone, this huge big boulder which has been rolled in front of it. How are we going to get it open? Maybe that's what they were thinking. Or maybe they were just discussing between themselves which of the three of them was going to do it, uh, who was the most pumped and had been down the gym. Um, You know, you can imagine Salome saying, oh, do you know what, Mary, I'll hold the spices. Why don't you push the stone away uh, so we can get in? It was probably that they'd just not thought about it. But anyway, they get to the tomb and they see it's not an issue because the stone has been rolled away from the tomb. So they must have been thinking, well, what on earth is going on here? They go inside. And instead of seeing the body of Jesus wrapped in the linen that Joseph of Arimathea has brought, um, they see an angel they see an angel sitting there. Other gospels actually say there's two angels. Mark is obviously just focusing in, on this one who speaks. And the angel says to them, don't be alarmed. Now, angels always have to say this because when, <laughs> when angels show up, most people are alarmed. <laughs> um, and so you find it all the time in the Bible. You know, someone comes across an angel. The angel, first of all, says, don't be afraid, don't be alarmed, don't worry, it's all okay. Uh, and that's what the angel says. Don't be alarmed. He's risen. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who he was buried here. But look, he's not here. He's risen. He's not here. And the angel tells them to go to the disciples and Peter and say to them, look, Jesus is risen, and he's going ahead of you into Galilee, and you'll see him again. You'll see him again, just as he's told you. Now, of course, Jesus has told his disciples many times that this is going to happen. If you read through Mark's gospel, time and time again, Jesus would say from chapter eight onwards, he would say, look, I, I'm going to have to die. I'm going to go and I'm going to be killed and crucified. And then three days later, I'll rise again. That was what Peter was, was said. No, 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 this must never happen. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. And he said, From that point on, he kept on saying it. You know, I'll only be with you for a little while longer. I'm going to die. But three days later, don't worry, I'm going to be risen from the dead. He kept telling them that this was going to happen. So you might have thought that at this point on the third day, some of these disciples would decide to go and check it out for themselves. You'd think that they might be there with the women as well. But they weren't. The women are there, but... But they're just going to anoint a dead body. They're not even going believing that Jesus is going to be risen as well. Nobody, despite how many times Jesus has said it, nobody is expecting a resurrection. Nobody's expecting it. It's actually another good indication that Mark is not making this story up. But I mean, think about it. If Mark was writing an account and he's just making up the story, the part of the story that Jesus is risen from the dead, what would he have said? He would have said, he would have had the male disciples saying, hey, Jesus told us he was going to be raised again. Let's go down to the tomb and check it out. And then he would have said, and they got there and there was no body and there was Jesus appearing to them and all of these things. That's what he would have said. But he didn't say that. Because Mark's reporting what actually happened. The truth is, it was as hard for the disciples to believe that Jesus was going to be raised from the dead as it is for many people to believe today that Jesus was raised from the dead. It's always been hard to believe. It's always been something that people have battled with, and maybe some of the reasons that they've battled with it, that people battled with it, have, have changed and are different over the years, but it's always been something that has been difficult to believe. Those of us who belong to a, a rationalistic kind of culture would argue, well, th- th- just, just no such thing as the supernatural. Of course, a, a body can't who's dead cannot be raised to life again, cannot come back to life. It just doesn't make sense. It's not rational. Actually, the Sadducees believed the same thing in Jesus' day. They thought there was no resurrection from the dead. Celsus, a Greek philosopher from the 2nd century AD, had a different reason as to why it was impossible to believe in the resurrection. He said this. He said, Christianity cannot be true because the written accounts of the resurrection are based on the testimony of women and we all know that women are hysterical. (laughs) That was his reason (laughs) for why the resurrection couldn't be true, and apparently many of his readers agreed with him. Hopefully that's not the sort of argument that many people would have against the resurrection today. But interestingly, given that Mark was living in a society where what women said didn't hold a lot of weight. It was true what Salsa said uh, in the, uh, to the extent that most people didn't think there was much weight to the testimony of women at the time. And so it's interesting, isn't it, that Mark, at this point in his gospel, right at the end, keeps mentioning Mary, Mary, Mary and Salome. He keeps mentioning it. Just in those few verses, he mentions them by name three times. He's not trying to downplay it. He's not saying, yeah, there were one or two women who went to the tomb, but then Peter and John and the others came. He's saying these were the three who saw it. These were the three. The only reason for him to keep doing that is to just make sure and to stress that he is writing an accurate account Of what happened. And the truth is, they were present and they reported what they saw. If he was making up an account, he would have had Peter, James, and John be the first to come and witness the tomb and witness the angels. Now, when it comes to what the angels tell the women to communicate to the disciples, we might be surprised there too you would think the, angels would, the angel would say something along the lines of, okay, Jesus is gone, he's risen, he's not here. He's told me to tell you, go and tell those faithless, backstabbing cowards of his disciples that he's coming to see you soon, so you'd better be ready to grovel. You'd better be ready to get your apologies out because he's done with you but that's not what they said. He didn't say that. The angel basically said, Jesus is going to do what he said he would do. He's risen from the dead as he said he would, and then he's coming back to you. And all the things that he promised you, all the things that he told you he would do, everything that actually you didn't even believe would happen and thought were impossible, he's still going to do. It's still part of God's plan. His disciples were incapable of doing what they said they would do. Do you remember? They said, I'll never forsake you. I'll never deny you. I'll never do this. I will do this. I won't do that. They couldn't do any of it. Jesus said what he was going to do, and he does it, and he does it. Jesus is going to begin with those who have abandoned him, He's going to begin with those who've denied knowing him. Those were the ones he wanted back. Those were his friends. He comes with grace and forgiveness. And we read more details in the other Gospels. Because the other disciples, they're all in hiding. Like I said, Peter had even denied knowing Jesus. He denied knowing him three times. Yet the angel stresses Peter's name. Go and tell the other disciples and Peter. Because they might have thought, well, I'll go and tell the other disciples, but, you know, not Peter, surely. He's totally humiliated. I'm going to tell him. No, go and tell the other disciples and Peter. It's amazing. God is so forgiving and loving. He's so faithful while we are so faithless. And we see from the other Gospels that Jesus does appear to his disciples a number of times uh, and in a number of ways, and, and Thomas, who isn't even there at first, he graciously comes back, even when Thomas says, I'm not even going to believe it until I see it, Jesus comes back and pays him a special visit, really. They weren't the only ones that Jesus appeared to. They weren't the only ones. Paul explains about others who Jesus has appeared to, and he explains that in 1 Corinthians and chapter 15, uh, from verse 3. died, not falling asleep like some of you may have, um, then then, <laughs> then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me as one abnormally born. Paul's saying, these are all the people Jesus appeared to, 500 other people at some point, one or two of them have died, most of them are still alive. What's Paul saying? The same as Mark. You can go and check it out. You can go and talk to some of these people who are still alive. Now, Paul's trying to explain and and encourage and convince the Corinthians and other people who might read that letter. Jesus is alive. Jesus was raised from the dead. And so he's giving this evidence. He's accounting for it. If it was a hoax, if it was all a big hoax made up by the disciples, well, there's 500 other people as well who are in on that hoax. And they all took it to their grave with them. So apart from what we've just said about how Mark's written his account, how he's written it and, and, and said it, we've, also, we've already got two strong pieces of evidence that the resurrection of, C- of Jesus is historically true. We've already got other evidence here. There's the empty tomb. No one ever produced Jesus' body. No one ever produced body. The Romans could have easily put a stop to it if they'd have known where Jesus's body was, if they'd have taken it, just to prevent someone else taking it, maybe to prevent the disciples taking it. They were concerned about that, so maybe they would have gone and taken it. But they could have just produced the body and said, look guys, it's all a lie. If the disciples had have taken the body as they feared, they're not they're not going to go and die themselves. M- most of them were crucified or killed themselves. They're not going to do that for a lie. We've got an empty tomb that no one could explain. And then there's the appearances of Jesus. Lots of people could say, well, I saw him too. This last Thursday, the Stanley Cup was in, um, in Fredericton. How, how, many, how many people were actually there at Officer Square to see the Stanley Cup? Darren was there. I was there. Me and Darren were there. (laughs) (laughs) Kayla Kayla was there. How many of us believe that it was there? How many of us? That's about a third of us. I'm getting concerned. (laughs) 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 Some of us have fallen asleep. Um, (laughs) Apart from the effort of raising your hand, I would think that most of us would believe that the Stanley Cup was there, in Officer Square, albeit a little late, on Thursday. Now, why do, we, why do we believe it? Because people were there and people saw it. And they can tell you. And you can go and, and speak to Darren, or you can speak to myself, or you can speak to Kayla, and we can say it was there. And you can speak to other people who were there as well. Um, Joe was there, and, and um, Noah and Jared were there. And, and thousands of other people were there. So you could say, well, maybe it's all made up. Maybe it's a big hoax. Maybe, maybe we just, it just got photoshopped, you know, this picture of Jake Allen and, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the Stanley Cup. It was just photoshopped onto Officer's Square. Well, that's possible. It could have be been done. But there were people there who saw it. So we, be, we believe, don't we? Even if we weren't there. Yeah, it happened. That's what it was like with Jesus' resurrection. There were many, many people who saw Jesus again they saw him they knew they were talking about it they were they were expert witnesses because they were there and they saw it and thirdly there's the evidence of what happened afterwards what happened after this point we've already seen how we can look back and see that the early church spread like wildfire we're evidence as well you know 2000 and odd years later we are here worshipping the risen Lord Jesus. And we can look back and we can see what happened to the disciples. We can see something transformed these cowardly disciples who weren't even there, who didn't even want to go and check it out. And they were in hiding. Something transformed them to become the bold, fearless leaders of the early church. How did that happen if the resurrection isn't true? How does Jesus' brother get convinced? James and Jude, actually. How, does, how, does, how do their brothers, Jesus' brothers, get convinced that Jesus is the Son of God? If your brother starts going around saying he's the Son of God, you're probably the last person to believe it. You know, however persuas- persuasive they are, however charismatic they are, you will be like, yeah, right. <laughs> he's not the Son of God. And and actually, that's what they thought at the time when he was going around teaching. He gathered a lot of followers. Well, James and Jude weren't part of that. Mary was thinking he's a bit like, she's even had the promises, and she's like, mm, let's go and get him and uh, take him away from this. It's all going a bit weird. Um, (laughs) Shows up with them one time. We're going to come and take you away, son. (laughs) (laughs) So, what? something persuaded them. They become convinced. How does... Paul become convinced. The main person, Saul, Paul, the main person who's going around persecuting Christians in the early days, he gets convinced. He becomes, instead of the main persecutor, he becomes the main one preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, planting churches. How does the day of worship, the Jewish day of worship, which has been Saturday, the Sabbath, for centuries and centuries, how does suddenly it get switched that people are suddenly worshiping God on a Sunday? That's a huge cultural shift. Something happened on that Sunday to make people start to worship and remember God and Jesus on a Sunday. Huge changes, huge changes that you've got to say are evidence of the resurrection of God. So what implications does all that have for us today? Well, on a a very easy to understand level, Um, as, As one agnostic once said, look, if the resurrection is true, so are a number of other things. One, there is a God. Two, Jesus is that God. Three, the Bible's true. Four, heaven and hell are real. And five, Jesus makes a difference whether you go to one or the other. That was from an agnostic. If Jesus truly is risen, it does mean that he is the son of God as he claimed to be. It means that he does have the authority to forgive sins as he claimed he did. It does mean that he came to die for us and that by trusting in what he's done on the cross, we're spared from eternal judgment and we're welcomed in to the presence of God. It means that because of his death, there is no lasting death for us. His resurrection means that we will be resurrected. First Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul says, We believe that Jesus died and rose again. This is verse 14. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who've fallen asleep in him, who've died. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, we certainly won't precede those who've fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. It's encouraging. We will be with God forever. Whether we die before Jesus returns or whether we're still alive when Jesus returns, We're both be, Both groups are going to be caught up and be with God and be with Jesus. There is a life still to come that's what it means i mean obviously if it's all fiction if it's all made up then the opposite is true and paul says that as well in first corinthians chapter 15 from verse 14 first, first corinthians 15 and verse 14 he says this if christ has not been raised our preaching is useless hopefully some of you don't think that anyway And so is your (laughs) faith. More than that, we are then found out to be false witnesses about God. For we've testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he didn't raise him if, in fact, the dead aren't raised. And if the dead aren't raised, then Christ hasn't been raised either. And if Christ hasn't been raised, your faith's futile. And you're still in your sins. And then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ. We're of all people the most to be pitied. Paul's saying if it's not true, why are we wasting our time? People Are just going to laugh at us? We're to be pitied more than anyone else. It's all a waste of time. He goes on to say in the same chapter, we might as well just eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Just go out. Just go and uh, get as much pleasure in your life as, as you can because life's short. But because of the resurrection of Christ, we have a heavenly hope. And that alters our perspective, even on what we're going through here and now. It it changes everything. Because as we've heard this morning, life is hard. Yes, sometimes we have easy times and and, and things are going okay. But for much of us, much of the time, and for most of us, life is hard. There's death and destruction and suffering. And it, it, it can be intolerable if that's the only life that there is. You know, you've got the optimism of youth, but but very quickly that's replaced by the reality that tragic and painful things happen to us and those we love. I when mean, we plan our dream weddings, we imagine we're going to be blissfully happy with our partner. We plan towards uh, getting a well-paid and satisfying job which will enable us to live comfortably in a, in a nice house and take long vacations and, and provide for us for a happy and, and, and long and healthy retirement with our spouse. And we dream about how many children we might have and we look forward to family gatherings where everyone gathers together and has a great time and is blissfully happy. The reality, <laughs> as Debbie's <laughs> clearly saying, <laughs> is very different. Hopefully, not all of it. Um, <laughs> no. The reality is very different. People can end up in lonely, loveless marriages, often abusive marriages. Close friendships end up in betrayal and hurt. Many people struggle to make ends meet. People suffer infertility and miscarriages and they silently grieve the loss of those children. They encounter sickness and cancer, sudden premature death of those they love or they watch their loved ones slowly suffer and fade away through terrible diseases like Alzheimer's or dementia or they experience it themselves in their life. If this life's all that there is, there's little to live for apart from fleeting pleasures, a great meal, an illicit encounter with someone, the thrill of gambling or the pleasure hit of drugs, anything to bring some fleeting pleasure to numb the pain, to help us escape from life. That's, that's the reality for most people in life. That's what they've come to reconcile their life as. And that's the only hope they've got. But if Jesus is risen, if Jesus is risen, our future is full of hope and life and beauty because the promise is that this life isn't the end of the story. We have the resurrection to come. If your body's deteriorated because of sickness and now you can't move very well, you can't dance, and maybe you love to dance, you can know that in the resurrection you're going to dance wonderfully and perfectly. If you're lonely now, in the resurrection, you'll have perfect love and fellowship with people. If you're empty now, in the resurrection, you'll be fully satisfied. You know, Just ordinary life is going to be redeemed. The simple pleasures that God gives us, food, work, mountains, lakes, hugs, friends, all of those sort of things are just going to be made perfect. And knowing that actually can, can help us. It can free us from anxiety to a great extent. It can enable us to take risks in this life, to do things that we would never dare to do otherwise because we think, well, this is it, and we're just potentially ruining our life. And it can help us face the worst things in life with joy and with hope. It makes a difference. So finally, what about the end of this gospel? What's going on with Mark here as he just ends it, just saying they're, all, they're afraid and they tell no one? Well, the women have heard the good news from the angel, and Mark tells us, trembling, bewildered, they fled from the tomb. They say nothing to anyone because they're afraid. Well, of course, we know that they did tell the disciples when they saw them, but they didn't tell anyone else on the way, and, and clearly they're filled with fear as Mark says. Well, firstly, let's remember fear is always the response when God breaks in. That's the, always the response. We see it again and again in the Bible. We see a holy God encounter people like Isaiah, who falls on his knees. When, when Jesus, the risen Lord Jesus, appears to Paul uh, on the road to Damascus, he falls to his knees. There's fear that comes when we encounter a holy God. But beyond that, we can, we can just be generally fearful Even as Christians, without the Spirit, it's not that the women didn't believe, it's just they were afraid. The disciples still feared for their own safety, even though Jesus had risen. They were meeting in rooms with locked doors. They were fearful. And it's possible for us to fear. It's possible for us to fear what our school friends and neighbors and work colleagues will say or do if we start speaking freely about loving Jesus. At this point in the story, there was still much to change. The story hadn't ended. Mark might be ending his gospel there, but the story of Jesus hadn't ended. There were still lots of promises which Jesus had given which were still to be fulfilled. And as we read on in Acts, we start to see some of those fulfilled. The most important thing is that Jesus had said the Spirit would be poured out. The Holy Spirit would be poured out. And the disciples and and others who loved Jesus would be baptized with the Spirit. And that changed everything. It wasn't just the women who were afraid, as we've said. The other disciples were hiding in fear for the authorities. And then the Spirit came. And tongues of fire rested on them. And they then began to speak in different languages. And the Spirit enabled them. They spilled out onto the street. A crowd gathered wondering what's going on. Peter stands up and preaches boldly about Jesus. And his death and his resurrection. And the promise of forgiveness. And the promise of filling of the Spirit for them. And 3,000 people encountered just that on that day and the church is born and then we read on and miraculous signs and wonders are done by the disciples in Jesus's name and and the authorities don't quite know what to do and this is just spreading 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 and so they get the disciples and say you must stop you must stop we're threatening you if you don't stop there's going to be consequences and the disciples say well we can't do anything else before the spirit there's just life and joy in us and we can't do anything other than this and they go back and tell the disciples what's been said and so everyone prays together give us boldness lord give us the give us stretch out your mighty hand and enable us to preach your word boldly and clearly and and the whole place shakes because the spirit's here it's incredible and and persecution comes Big time, believers have to flee their homes. They've got to go to places that they don't even know and they're scattered. But the gospel just advances even further. That's how the gospel spread further and wider. The kingdom of God advances. The kingdom of God still advances today. The same Holy Spirit is available to us today. We just have to ask. We hunger and thirst for him. We've just got to ask and hunger and thirst We might be those who are fearful of what others may say and do if they discover we love Jesus. We might be like these women running from the tomb, not wanting to speak with anyone. But we don't have to wait like they did. They had to wait for a while. We don't have to wait. We can be filled with the Spirit this morning, again and again. We can take our place in the spreading of the good news of the gospel and the death and resurrection of Jesus to our schools and our workplaces and our gyms and our sports teams and our neighbors. and uh, The church is going to continue to advance. The kingdom of God will continue to advance. So the gospel of Mark has ended. His account of Jesus' life and death and resurrection have come to a close. But in just the same way that you might watch a TV show and at the end of the season, the season finale, You just get this sign, that's not the end. There's more to come. There's another season to come. We just have to wait for it. There's a clear sign here from Mark at the end of this gospel. This isn't the end. There's more to come. Mark is signing off with a very clear, to be continued. And we can read about it in Acts, and we can read about it as we understand church history. And we can read about it in modern church history. And we can hear stories of how God's working powerfully in the church today. And best of all, we can take our place. We can take our place as part of God's story. We can take our place in bringing a gospel of hope to a world which desperately needs to know his love and his grace and his forgiveness and his power. So, church, let's receive the Spirit again this morning. Let's be filled afresh as we go out into all the different places that he's sending us to shine his light and his glory into a dark world. Why don't we stand together? We'll pray. We're going to worship.